Welcome to the Built and Beyond podcast. This is where we share trends and knowledge and cool tools that just might help take some bricks off your back. If you're looking for insight into the built and natural environment, and well, beyond, this is the place. If you're in the federal space and want to drive innovation, we have some thoughts. Transportation, asset management, water infrastructure concerns keeping you up at night? We have guests who will talk about that too. We're all in this together, so let's get to it. Welcome back to episode two of Data, Your Most Valuable Asset. I'm John Pregler, and I'm joined once again by Soraya Saflicki and Alan Ibaugh. Let's talk through some of the elements of a data governance system. Soraya, do you want to lead us off there? Yeah, that's actually a really important point because you have to know where you want to go, right? And you have to know where you want to be so that you can structure that in the in the right format that's going to suit your organization. And so um, some of those main elements of that data governance program is the first thing you have to know is define your business drivers. What are those business drivers? It could be federal regulations. It could be, you know, a business plan that the organization has or a strategic plan. Um, it could be state level requirements that 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 you that have to be met by the organization. So you want to define your business drivers so that they're clear. And once you've defined your business drivers, then you can start defining and creating that data governance program. What does that include? As, as we talked about, Alan talked about earlier, um, part of those pillars is, ha is having policies and processes and procedures in place. And I know sometimes people cringe when they hear the word policy, but it is such an important part of it because these policies are what's going to sort of run that program, right? They're gonna keep us all on the same page um, as we process, create, and acquire data. Processes and procedures are just good common sense because they really help us to have repeatable work, right? We don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. If you have a process and a procedure, I can come in and be efficient at what I'm doing because we have these processes and procedures in place. So we're all singing out the same song sheet, right, John? That's right. <laughs> and then standards, um, best management practices, you know, standard operating procedures. These are, these are all key business points that you want in your data governance program. And let me tell you, um, people will appreciate them, right? Because I think as, I mean, as, as I come in and I do my job, the first thing I like to do is just look at what process needs to be done, right? It It, it is just a good way to, to make your, your, it's going to make your employees efficient and it's going to drive your program. So, and I think the you know, concept behind the policy also gives some authority to the data governance program and allows for some enforcement. It also though requires for those roles and responsibilities throughout the agency at the strategic, tactical implementation and support levels to be defined so people understand what their roles and responsibilities are. I know during the Ohio DOT implementation, which is still going on, a big consideration 
in concern at the very beginning of the project was organizational change management. Soraya, speak a little bit about the importance of organizational change management, which is not to be confused with project change management, uh, which is a different concept. And, and having an organizational change management plan when you're implementing such a big program like data governance is going to be key to the success of that program. Because if you bring this change to your folks, I guarantee you they're going to, it's going to be a lot of resistance. But if you bring them on this journey with you and you have that organizational plan and you're giving them information all along the way, you're going to gain acceptance from these folks. And so um, it's, it's, it's a really important piece of, of data governance, John. And I think it really ties into what Alan was talking about, those three uh, main considerations of people, process, and technology when looking at data governance, data warehousing, or data analytics. And it's definitely ties into that organizational change and preparing the organization for the change that's coming, why it's coming, how it impacts them, the WIFO, what's in it for me, and building that buy-in on the front end so we can be successful on the back end. Yeah, and so, that's a really good point and really quick that you said is that what's in it for me. If you um, let your that your folks know, well, hey, this is what's in it for you. They're they're also going to buy into that program a lot more than if you just spring it on them. Absolutely. And the third tier within the data governance framework that that was created for the Ohio DOT, and which I believe applies to any organization, regardless of the nature of the organization, is the data lifecycle management. Let's talk a little bit about the data lifecycle and the requirements both from a data governance perspective, as well as the benefit on a data analytics side of the house by having good standards and processes defined for your data life cycle within your organization. <clears throat> so with that, we have in the data life cycle that was defined for the Ohio DOT, uh, several categories that were uh, uh, identified or stages of the life cycle. Soraya, could you just step us through what those main stages are? And Alan will uh, engage you then in talking a little bit about each one of these stages of the data life cycle and some of the considerations that people overlook typically when they're thinking about implementing a information management system, uh, especially when they want to evolve into business intelligence technologies uh, and those types of things, the considerations start running a lot deeper than if you were implementing a commercial off-the-shelf uh, basic software system. Uh, so let's talk about that life cycle. Sure. The, um the life cycle is really important because it's got, it's basically the the controlling of your data, right? Um, we, we continue to to have a, a theme here of, you know, your data is only as good as as your your information is only going to be as good as your data is, right? And so it's important to to establish that life cycle again to sort of continue with that with keeping everything in in in, in the process. So the first the first pillar or the first piece of the life cycle is planning. 
So as you're gathering your data, you want to plan your data. And that includes things like creating a data management plan. As you bring in, as you consider bringing in a new, whether it's a new asset or a new, uh, a new data set, you want to consider, you know, why do you need this data set? How is it going to be used? So you want to gather those requirements. It's important to have those requirements um, and, and speak to your users so that you have the, the right information. Yeah, be, uh, before we move on uh, from planning, uh, Alan, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the practical uh, uh, considerations that agencies need to go through when they're planning to produce a complex report to say the Federal Highway Administration like the HPMS report or to the EPA for NPDES, which typically requires data that is tracked in multiple systems to be brought together to produce these one critical reports to a, a particular agency or department within an agency. Uh, and oftentimes the planning and the data considerations on that front end and the people, the process and the technologies are overlooked. What are some of the things agencies can do to get that out in the forefront at the beginning of the process versus in the middle or as a consideration at the end of a project or an implementation? Uh, what are some of those uh, 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 caveats that people should consider? Yeah, I think um, we're hit, hitting on, John, is you mentioned this even earlier, is when you put a report together like that that's needs to go to the federal government or state agency that's looking for this information. It's it's the work the prob problem backwards because that report is going to be pulling information potentially from many different departments to get to a final answer. And um, you have to understand all of the intricacies and interdependencies to get to to get to that final report. So up front in this planning stage, what you could be doing in those cases is do to developing um, joint participation agreements. And uh, really the, those agreements are just to be able to provide data across different departments so that you're, you're able to access that information correctly or a service level agreement between agencies. And this could really be facilitated by something we started to talk about a little bit earlier is this ability to create a committee, a data governance committee um, that really has some folks that represent each department and then they could work together to, to put together a plan that would get you to that final report that you're that you're looking for so that each of the the different data silos are coming together as, as one in a the ability to meet a federal requirement like like HPMS or um, the Meyer data sets that are that are necessary to be delivered to the feds. One other thing I wanted to mention here in planning that I think is really important is, you don't necessarily know um, what to plan in certain data attribute configurations until you're out in the field doing it. So what I mean by that is you could go out and you're collecting for, uh, let's say, signalized intersection, but you didn't realize that I needed to get all of the controller box information at that signalized intersection and what's inside of that to consider those assets. But as part of this planning, what you, you could do to make sure that you're not um, going, so for instance, you're looking at this across the state of Ohio, you're gonna have 
thousands and tens of thousands of uh, signalized intersections. You don't want to go out and collect that data and then come back and figure, find out, wow, I have totally missed certain attributes that I needed to get. So it's important to think about in this planning part of the life cycle of data analytics and data um, management that you do what I would call a pilot program or a prototype or whatever you may want to call it. But it's a we're going to go out and do a collection on just a few of those intersections that are representative, one in rural area, one in an urban area, one in a transitioning area, and come back to our business and see, did I did I get everything? Are there additional attributes that I need to be getting when I'm in the field? So it's a, I think it's important to not bite off too much in planning to say, but we put a process in place with our people to go out and say, this is how we do it every single time when we're, we're doing data collection for a particular asset or set of assets to make sure that we're getting what we need. Absolutely. And that really, that prototype uh, or that pilot program ties into the next uh, main pillar of the data life cycle. Soraya, talk a little bit about that next pillar. Yeah, I was going to say that's a good segue into that next pillar um, of creating your data. Uh, and this is where it is important um, to have you know, to, to have that in mind is when you're creating your data, what is the purpose for it? Um, why, why do you need this data? Why do you have to gather this data? And so at this point, you're, you start creating your data, you're collecting data internally, and you're creating these inputs. I think uh, one of the things that, that you also need to consider in the creation of the data, this is where the, the people, the process, and the technology really start coming into consideration. Because oftentimes the people that create the data are your worker bees. Uh, yeah. The people who are out in the field uh, who need to get onto the next project and the one after that or the next work order, whatever the case may be. Uh, and they need tools and processes so they clearly understand how to capture data, what data standards to be using as they capture data and enter it into whatever tool they use, whether that be the uh, old traditional paper and pen or whether it be a smartphone or tablet or some other device. And to make sure that as you go through that pilot that you're proofing out those technologies as well as your processes and ensuring that the people are properly trained on the tools and the processes to capture the data in the right way. One of the things that we see quite a bit with DOTs who uh, tie a lot of their asset data and their financial and project data to the roadway is referencing where along the roadway or a linear referencing system that work actually occurred and how that gets documented. Do we document it to a uh, a mile post or marker? Uh, do we use GPS? Do we use a combination? And to what level of accuracy do we need depending on the type of data we're capturing? So all that stuff can be thought of and worked out as you go from your planning to your creation stage and a pilot program to create that data. Yeah. But data typically is, is static uh, and, and is a point in time uh, picture uh, and there are, are greater considerations once you've captured the data that go above and beyond just the capture of the data. Alan, let's talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I was going to say um, I had a little bit to add on to this part you're talking about here in the creation of information. I think, John, you really hit it hard on the people and process side, which is good. I want to hit the technology a little bit. We're seeing in the in the industry, you know, a huge change from where a lot of the data creation was happening in a, and and still there's still quite a bit of this in a manual fashion. Um, going out in the field, you're in a <laughs> you're your boots on the ground, you're walking this the sidewalks or, or whatever it may be, or you're in a Segway and you're driving up to fire hydrants and you're taking information about what what you see there at the fire hydrant. And those kinds of things are still happening more manually. However, there's a ton of automation processes now to create data that's been happening in the last, I'd say, five years um, or so. And those automated processes to, to create information, some are, are really good and some of them are not so good. And I think it, it, haps, it comes across when we talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning. And if we get into the talking about training your data, it's, it's more information that I get about a, a particular asset type. Um, the, the better information I'll get as a as I train that data up and I get a better answer. I think that that's, you know, the considerations there really hit into what we want to go into the next phase is really the maintenance of this is there's quality control issues that could come up and you definitely need to have a, a data governance quality control plan around whether the data is coming in manually, like it comes into a, um, I would call, you bring it into a, a business system or a data warehouse, it's going to go into a holding space first, right, as a good data practice to scrub that information and to cleanse it to see if the that the folks out in the field were collecting the data correctly. They're getting GPS coordinates. They're, they're, all the attribute fields are filled out correctly. Or if it's an automated process and we're getting this information out of um, artificial intelligence or machine learning application, does this data look right to us as we drive down, for instance, we're looking at pavements and it's driving down the road and we're saying the artificial intelligence is saying this is really poor pavement, but we're looking at it with the human eye and saying it's good pavement. We've got to have a maintenance and quality control plan in place um, as part of what with all these different moving parts with data and how we're getting information in. I think it becomes critical that data governance as our foundation um, it has to have that as part of our process at data maintenance plan. I don't know if you guys want to add anything to that. Soraya, would you like to add anything? Yeah, no, I think that's a, I was just, the only thing I was going to say is at that point when you're maintaining your data, it also, um, one of the important things is to reconcile that data to make sure that what you've gathered is indeed what you needed. I think that, you know, when I've worked with other DOTs, um, like Alan was saying, they're doing these inspections, but a lot of times they they weren't reconciling their data. So they're doing inspections and then you have maintenance happening sort of in a silo. Uh, and then, you know, as, as, as things are being inspected and maintenance is happening, there was, because there was no reconciliation of data, we were missing the opportunities to go out there and instead of doing two trips, you know, now we can do things in one. And so that's another important part of, of maintaining your data and reconciling your data is so that you can have, again, sort of that, that whole view of your data. Speaking of having a whole view, join us next time for our views on the fourth pillar of the data life cycle, assimilation. See you then.